time to show the world that top is what I strive for. Greatness is a journey I'm willing to strive for. Consistency is key and I don't take no time off. Against the odds, I put it all on the line for. A lesson learned for every flaw I'm gonna make. Consequence I undertake. Putting all my trust and faith. Failure won't become my fate. Ten toes down, I never fall. Give it all to reach my goal. That's my name in stone when my story's told. Say I did it for the... So I've just been graduated in 2016 and since then just been working marketing roles primarily for like very small businesses, kind of doing marketing generalists. So touching everything from email to social media. And I run a blog now called Learn Then Apply. And it I, it was kind of taken from the concept of when after I graduated from university, I was just uh, reading so much content, watching so many videos and stuff like that, but I wasn't actually doing anything. So I said, okay, how do I slow down and actually start to make something out of all the stuff that I'm doing? So I created that blog. And so for the last six, I mean, two months or so, I've been more consistent in putting it out weekly. And it's definitely forced me to kind of think a bit more clearer about, yeah, I learned this thing this week. Like, what am I going to say about it? Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at it. So it's a newsletter primarily, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So- it, I had the blog up, but then I, I moved the host over and I just decided to just start over with it. Yeah, so it looks really interesting and I subscribed immediately. <laughs> when you <laughs> send me your email, I, I always do this when I think the project is cool. And really, so how big is it already? It's, it's only about like 100 subscribers. It was mostly just family and friends, but then I've been posting the basically the meat of the, the newsletter to Medium every week and last on Sunday, actually, I think one of the pieces got picked up by the Medium email. And so it shot up from like 20 views to 2000. And so from that, I got about like 20 new subscribers. And so that was just yeah, that's a little awesome. nerve-wracking. What's, what was the title of the post? It was called, uh, you're probably supposed to be doing something else right now. Yeah. And was, what, what was it about? So really what the title says? or <laughs> Exactly. It was... Uh, so the last few weeks, I've been breaking down um, Nir Ayal's book, Indistractable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it kind of goes in three parts where the first part is, why do we get distracted? And it's more mostly internal, like you're uneasy or overwhelmed or something. So that's what that article is mostly about. And then since then, I've written two more. One of them about, he has a quote that's like, you, you can't call something a distraction if you don't know what it's distracting you from. And so really taking time to set your priorities and time out, put your priorities into like a calendar. And then the last piece I just did was about how do you kind of set up your environment to do good things like so blocking out distracting apps and then making like putting your journal by your bedside so that you like actually journal in the morning, stuff like that. Yeah, that sounds super interesting. And if I understood that correctly, like you're reading different stuff, you're watching videos, taking courses, whatever. And then you try to reflect on that and share what you learned, but also you're trying to apply it, right? So it exactly. this is the title, learn, then apply. So you also have like an element where you do little experiments or just describe how you applied what you learned, for example, in this book in your own life. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm trying to make it more applicable, but I'm trying to do just-in-time learning now, you know, instead of just like trying to learn about everything. So right now, just being distracted and not doing the things that I said that I want to do was my biggest issue. So I started with this book. I think the next few books that I want to do is probably there's Atomic Habits. There's I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Rumi Sethi. Like I've always been interested in personal finance. So I kind of want to break down that whole process. And then there are just little courses. Like I, I bought Noah Kagan's 
monthly 1K course. That's kind of about how to start your first business. And then Tiago Forte has like his getting things done or I forgot what he calls it. But yeah. um, so there's a lot of resources. So now um, just picking one and then kind of focusing on something for a month and kind of going from there. Yeah. So you have like a, a theme each month. So this month it's distractions, how to get rid of distractions. And you're reading the book, Indestructible, and mm -hmm. trying to do it yourself. And how successful are you <laughs> with blocking out distractions so far? Um, better than I was. I think that's the best way to put it. I think I've been using apps like Freedom and stuff like that, but it's really, there's little things I've done. I think the biggest thing for the longest time is just taking time to actually write down your priorities and things. Anytime, the, the most recent article that I wrote, I was right halfway through a sentence about what the article was going to be about. And then I went on like a 30 minute YouTube tangent. And then I came back and I said, well, okay, this is why we're writing the article. Super interesting. And it's also a topic I'm of course interested in as like independent maker, creator, whatever. And especially because I'm doing like my independent learning experiment. And I think this is one of the most important things that universities provide is like to have like this peer pressure accountability. So people actually do this stuff. But if you're doing an independent learn learning experiment, it's just you, right? You have to figure it out yourself how to actually do this stuff and stay motivated and yeah, get through the material that you want. So I, I'm super interested in that. And I actually have like freedom also installed on my computer. But I have to admit that it's not really working mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's uh, so easy to just quit the program and then you can still <laughs> access all the websites. It's, <laughs> it's just like one, two, one step that's too easy to just do your thing. And it's like too inflexible because for example, like for example, it makes sense to, to block Twitter, right? So Twitter is a distraction usually, but when I'm writing something which I consider productive work, then I usually also need to go on Twitter to do some research because I want to include the tweet as a source or whatever. So of course, then I have to quit freedom in order to pull up that resource or whatever, do my research. And usually I won't start it again. And so it's completely pointless. <laughs> no, that's a great point. I think that's where maybe using a secondary device anytime that you need to access it. Or I know there's, there's a tool called Blocksite. You know the problem. So I, I have different activities that I do on um, Microsoft Edge versus Firefox versus Google Chrome. Mm. And so I had a, this app called Blocksite attached to Chrome. And then so it blocked out all these distracting things. But then I would literally just open up Firefox and then go down. The <laughs> yeah, I know that. <laughs> exactly. So, but since we wanted to talk about product ideas primarily, <laughs> don't want to narrow the focus, but I think there is a, there's a huge opportunity for someone to figure this out. And I don't currently know what the solution is, but I think these blockers um, like Freedom and Turkey, whatever it's called, and there are a few others, at least for me, they don't work because they are so inflexible. And I think there is a opportunity maybe to do something with like a budget where you have like an hourly budget that you can spend however you want through the day or something along these lines. It's just one idea. But mm -hmm. yeah, do you, since you made a little bit of research in that direction, did you have any product idea how you could help people stay, stay focused? I've actually been putting together like the wireframe of a, a productivity app, which I'm sure is the first time someone's doing that. But it's, you know, I have 
based off of Nier's book, he kind of had this idea of what are your priorities and then how do you plan your priorities into a week? And so I literally made a, like a Google sheet that was, okay, here's how many hours I have during the week. Here are my priorities. I'm going to assign my priorities to a 30 minute block. And then I can see how much time I'm spending per week. And then how much time do I have to left, which I call guilt-free time, which is what is kind of based off in Ramit's book of finance. He calls any money that you have left over guilt-free money, right? And so I try to bring that same concept over. And I paid a guy on Fiverr and made it into this web app. And I think it works pretty well, but in terms of coming up with your priorities, scheduling out your priorities, like once I learned that there was only 168 hours in a week and, you know, the first time that I went through and plotted everything out, there was only like five to eight hours of guilt-free time left in the week, which means that even if I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do on a Saturday, I couldn't even do it. I'd be super productive in the morning or something. So I've rescheduled that now, but I've made the wireframe now where I think there's another step to this where once you have, let's say that one of your priorities is working out or one of your priorities is cooking, then there's kind of a next step about, okay, what are you going to do during that block? Because that uncertainty if you are like, oh, you know, I'm going to go to the gym, but you have no idea what you're going to do once you get to the gym, then you're going to say, okay, well, what's the point of me at even going there then? So I think there's that next step where you kind of say, okay, here's your priority. Here's when and you're going to do it during the week. And then here's what you're going to do this week. And so, yeah, I've been working on an app like that. Yeah, sounds interesting. So it's, it's really a topic I've been thinking about a lot. And what I've always struggle with is like this whole yeah i (laughs) i I need to be careful how to formulate it but i think there is a huge huge problem that like productivity influencers are as bad as fitness influencers (laughs) i i would put it like you know that problem in the fitness industry everyone knows about it right you have people who just take steroids and they set unrealistic standards and they sell their training workout plans and they are completely useless because if you're not taking steroids like they do, yeah, it's not working. Because mm-hmm. if you're taking steroids, you need a different workout routine. And it's the same, I think, for productivity influencers. And I think the most, most important thing is also with fitness influencers that they actually don't follow their own advice because they <laughs> preach one thing and do another completely different thing since they are taking steroids behind the scenes or whatever. And you have to think with productivity influencers like these posts that do incredibly well and all these books like Tiago Forte puts out his system and it's super complicated, many moving parts and do this every day and a weekly review and daily to-do list and then you plan and everything is so optimized. But I personally doubt that anyone is really doing that. So mm-hmm. it's, it's just my personal view that it there, there are stuff that sounds cool and as it, you, you, if you're reading this then you think okay this is amazing I should be doing this and if I'm doing this I will be as successful as this guy but in fact this guy is not really doing it but if he's he, he can't really write down what he's doing because maybe it's just completely messy or whatever he's using lots of virtual assistants that you can't afford so when he has to give advice, he's, it's not intentionally bad advice or whatever, but it's more like this setting unrealistic standards and writing stuff that sounds smart, but is actually not usable. I think that's where uh, people like 
us can be kind of helpful because we're we're trying to make like a, a bare bones thing that even works you know i'm trying to come make my first iteration of a productivity plan and so i think that's a lot more accessible like if you're trying to get productivity from like tiago forte i mean he's a teacher so he's a bit better than this but it's like trying to get fitness advice from like the rock or something you know where it's just this person who's just world class of what they do and it's hard to like uh, take their advice when you're starting out yeah right. and I mean, what's your, what's your opinion? Do you really think that um, these people follow their own advice? I'm I'm really skeptical. And many more examples, but I want, don't want to talk bad about anyone. So this, mm -hmm. is not, this is not the point I'm trying to make. It's it's like more a systemic issue, not with individuals. So, but I'm curious. Yeah, maybe another example is like this deep work guy, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. So, of course, this... Is completely reasonable. You need to block deep work, and I'm yeah. But do people actually do this? Do you know anyone? It it sounds so reasonable, but um, after all, we are all humans. <laughs> we function similarly, so it it sounds great, but I'm not sure if it's really applicable in the real world. Yeah, no, I mean that's a good point, and I think someone brought this. I think it was actually in Tiago's. He had a he has this blog post, great blog post about how to summarize books, and he talks about how you know when when someone writes a book, they had to make it the broadest most like inspiring thing that it can be and so i think it, it, you might lose a little bit of the nuance of the details of what actually makes it useful to people so i feel in my opinion i feel like th they might fail every once in a while but i feel like cal newport actually probably does work for like four hour blocks or tiago <laughs> actually does do like a weekly review every day i mean every week and but i think for me i would love to have like a 45 minute deep work block you know just just <laughs> grinding without any distractions and things so i think you kind of just look at these people that are killing it and then take an aspect of it and apply it to your life yeah fair point but just to, that you brought up because it's like another perfect example this progressive summarizing of books <laughs> it's it sounds like so much work and it is, is, yeah. is anyone actually doing it and getting anything out of it so because i i personally prefer this idea that all the great ideas will automatically stick and like note taking is primarily a form of procrastination <laughs> just my just my two cents on on the topic but yeah at least progressive summarization sounds like so much work and i'm not really sure what people are getting out of it and again it it sounds really cool when you're reading about it until you then try it and actually try to do it regularly and then it's Yeah, I, I I don't find it real world applicable for me, at least, unless I want to be like, unless this is my full-time city. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, well, that's a, a point that I wanted to ask you about because it does take, it takes a ton of time. And I, I think in your most recent newsletter, you, you talked about, you know, doing, creating content is a full-time role in itself. And so if you're just creating content about how you're creating, then you might not have time for creating. So so like you know how have you tried to balance those things have you ever thought about like help bringing someone in to help you do that yeah i think a lot about it and i think the hardest part is at least when it comes to content that i have no idea how how i could like outsource any of it because yeah it's it's my personal, personal. taste yeah. yeah and also so i love the idea of outsourcing right it's and it's one of the most powerful concepts i or skills i really learned but I still find it incredibly hard to find actually stuff to outsource because yeah, it's, it's really that 
what can you actually outsource? My, I can't outsource my writing. And I could outsource my proofreading, but my proofreading takes, I don't know, 10 minutes. So it would take me longer probably to send it and receive it. And then actually I still need to make the edits and make sure that it's still, still great. Unless you're paying like top dollar for where you can be 100% sure. But, but also for like another great example is podcasting where I would love to pay someone to edit my podcast because this is something I don't enjoy. So I, I really enjoy recording podcasts, but not the editing work afterwards. And I even use this amazing tool called Descript, which mm -hmm. is really a game changer for podcasting. But still, it's, it's at least for me annoying work. And, but still, I think I can't outsource it because I'm making editorial decisions. Because I'm making not just I'm not just deleting like um, filler words because Descript does it automatically anyway, but I'm really looking at is this exciting or is it boring? And if there are like ten minutes in a podcast that are boring, I just cut them out, right? Mm. And I how do you find someone with the same taste who can actually do it? It's possible, but it's super hard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I think I've I've been thinking about this a lot too. Where that's funny when you're you're like you know this is like an activity that maybe takes ten minutes. Because I've been thinking about it the same way where I've been helping to produce this one podcast show. And so part of it is just pulling, pulling the recording, uploading it to the folders to make sure that it's saved and um, sending it to the right people. Like I, I was thinking about, you know, should I get like a virtual assistant or outsource that to someone else? But then it's 10 minutes. But I feel like the just you thinking about having to do that is enough of like a drain where it might start to be helpful to get someone else to do it. And as far as like the editorial, I think no one is going to come in and know it, but maybe just making notes about the, the sections that you thought were interesting. But yeah, giving up that control, especially when you're a, a solopreneur or a solo creator and where, you know, the, your authenticity and uh, your voice is the biggest thing that people are coming to decide for, it's hard to give up to that. Up. Yeah, it's really tough. But coming back to the to the whole productivity issue because I, of course, I read the books, I watched the videos and all that kind of things, but I never found it possible to do any of this consistently. So <laughs> this is, but, but still I think I'm far more productive than most people. And I probably look quite like I'm working all the time from the outside, but actually I aren't, I'm not. And the thing is just that I work in this like short sprints where I'm super excited and I only work on stuff I'm really excited about. So mm -hmm. this is like my, the mode I've settled on and I just ignore stuff I'm not excited about. I just don't do it. I'm not, I'm not doing it except for like tiny stuff, like the editing stuff that I absolutely have to do in order to keep doing the exciting stuff, right? So like the small support work, but this is like the, my pr productivity framework, if you want, just to focus on stuff I'm truly excited about because then I'm, I have no temptation to, to seek distractions or whatever. If, if I feel like this is the thing I have to do, I'm super excited, then hmm. yeah, you, you don't need a system. Well, I think, I forgot who, who's the one that says that quote that's like, we're, we're like lions where we, we have sprints where we hunt and then we you know, enjoy. Yeah, knowledge workers, exactly. As knowledge workers, we should be more like lions. It's not a marathon, but a series of sprints. Right. And you feast like the lines. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
Well, you're talking about you're going through these sprints where you're working on the projects, but then I think what was really interesting about your Bootstrap MBA curriculum was that you have these assignments, right? And you kind of alluded to it earlier where you said you don't have like the professors or someone like a grade to hold you accountable to what you do. So I was curious about, you know, like you said, five product ideas a week, two tweets and stuff like that. So how are you kind of holding yourself accountable to that? Yeah, I, I don't. So I'm, I'm, just, I'm just doing it. I really not I'm not thinking about it because I just said that I will do it and now I'm just doing it. It's it 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 really works like that and I think it would have been amazing to start with like an accountability partner and all these kind of things but I have actually quite some experience in just learning stuff for myself because from what I did previously was both learning physics and um, the only way to learn physics is to really figure it out yourself. So really dig in deep in whatever interests you. So I have a bit of experience and I think this is why it's working for me. So I'm surprisingly consistent, at least. I find it personally surprising that I, that I managed to get that far in actually doing the things I wanted to do each day. But still, it's, it's, I think my approach is not particularly great. And there's a lot of room for optimization and like having a small support group having an accountability partner would would help a lot i think did you do this before uh, well you said that you were learning this with physics but one thing that i've uh, felt like so first of all i started i think i became really consistent in my newsletter once i at the end of each newsletter i started putting that if you don't get this newsletter by when next wednesday this date like you can venmo request me for ten dollars and so <laughs> Just that little external motivation made me a little bit more consistent. But now, you know, I don't want, like people are messaging, they're like, oh, oh, what's the newsletter about this week and stuff like that. So I feel like just the consistency of doing it has made it, or the newsletter is making me learn and do things more often. Have you felt that with like just putting yourself out in public like this? Yeah, I, I, I actually did this, right? So I announced my goals publicly and in the beginning, it was a bit of a struggle, but now it, most of the things just happen automatically. Like, for example, it now sounds really silly to me that I had to force myself to write two tweets each day. It's, it sounds incredibly silly to me, but now it just happens automatically. I really don't have to think about it. And it's really, yeah, probably the habit thing that people always talk about, that you have like this initial hurdle, you need to get over it. But once it, it's, you have internalized it, it just works. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's how, like, you know, people are like, oh, how do you come up with so many ideas and stuff like that? And I think it's, there's that phenomenon, I forgot what it's called, where, you know, once you, you're like looking for a Honda, then all you see on the road is Hondas and stuff like that. And so I feel like this is the same way where I just see the ideas everywhere. So I, I know we wanted to pitch out some ideas. So I was just thinking kind of how, I don't know what the legality of this is, but Tiago was on uh, Noah Kagan's podcast and he was talking about how, you know, when he first started what his his course is called like getting stuff done like a boss and so you know it's basically just the the getting things done by david allen's book into a course and he said well yeah i didn't know that before you could it, it wasn't like nice to just take someone's book and make it into a course so again i don't know what the legality of it but when i think about how like a book is consumed i think one of the problems is that you go and you read like three chapters where each chapter would probably take like a week or two weeks to actually apply it into your life but then by the time you go in the second one then you're like ah well i'm gonna skip the first step because now you know i i know that like quote unquote so 
I was thinking about how do you, one idea is how to make books into courses where you can really get into like the, the minutia of it, but then you can also just automatically schedule it out so that it makes, there's enough pause in between the curriculum to actually implement it. Yeah, I love it. It's, it's, it sounds amazing. And I think the most valuable thing you could potentially add is like a cohort. So that you, that the main value you bring is not just like videos about the book, because maybe the book is even better than your little videos, but like just offering to organize a cohort with a weekly discussion. And if people pay for something like this, they have a much higher probability of actually following it through. I'm also, but I, so if you're doing like, at least if you're doing this, so if your main value you provide is just organizing the cohorts, I think there's no legal issue. Taking content is more difficult probably, but if you're doing it like Tago, if you're just synthesizing the content, it's perfectly legal. So it, unless you're actually copying the pages from the book, it's legal, I think. So there's, mm -hmm. there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to record a few videos where you talk about ideas you read about in a book, right? Yeah, no, that's a great point. I, I like that idea where it's basically like a, a book club with the curriculum, right? Yeah, and maybe you could even add this element that people start using more and more where you pay like a large fee, but every week you show up, you get a small percentage back mm, and right. it seems to be working really well. So this Dicky Bash guy did it with 30 ship 30 for 30 kind of thing. And I wasn't aware of that, but I talked to Brian Burris a few days ago and he told me that he's part of this and it's actually like a course, you get an accountability partner but you pay like 50 bucks and if you follow through for 30 days, you get your money back. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there was like that, that was how that levels health fitness thing went to where yeah, the pre-commitment. And then I think the, the creator kept like $50 of it or something like that. Or, yeah. Justin Morris is doing yeah. it. Exactly. Yeah. That's a really cool idea. So, I mean, especially when I'm in the space of, you know, trying to take books and apply it. And then, so if I can be a little bit more conscious that when I'm going through the books, okay, what are like the, what are the steps? What are the, the intervals of what the training should be? I think that's like a, a no-brainer for the next step. Yeah. So, and it would be super simple to pull this off, right? You just have to pick a book that you are personally interested in and that many people are probably interested in. And the cool thing is that you just need like five people to make it work mm -hmm. or to, to, get it, to get it off the ground. So let's say atomic habits or whatever. It would be so easy to find five people, right, to, 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 to buy into your accountability club. And then you put out a tweet or a landing page or whatever. And yeah, like Dickie Bush is doing it, 50 bucks, whatever. And then if you, if you get some experience that way, you could grow it naturally into all kinds of directions. But that, so it would be amazing. And I'm pretty sure that lots of people would love to, to use it. Yeah, and I think... One thing I've been thinking about a lot recently is that this whole, oh, well, someone else is probably doing it. But I mean, this book exists and millions of people have read these books and like probably 20 people have actually applied it. So the, the value that you're providing at that point is not the information in the book. It's just that you're going to help someone execute it and that you're bringing the idea to them in the first place. Yeah, you're right. So you could make like little worksheets and do assignments. And this is then really the value you bring in addition, right? So yeah, this would, be, would make the whole thing even more powerful if you're not just doing like a book club with getting your money back, but also like 
thinking carefully about what kind of exercises, assignments would right. be super cool. So do yeah. you have any plans of doing that? Well, now that we mentioned it, I, I think the, the best way for me to go about this would probably to be with Rumi Sethi's book, yeah, I Will Teach You Be Rich, because that's just a, you know, setting up like a personal finance system. I think the, I guess the one roadblock would be that would people pay money upfront to set up like a financial system? I think there's probably like a lot of internal fears there, but that book would be, I think it's just like, it's so clear in that book what your fin a final um, result will look like. You can paint the picture so well. Whereas with like a book like Indistractable, I think there's so many great tactics in there, but painting the picture of like, I don't, I don't want to be, by the end of this book, you know, you're going to be a productivity machine, you know, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. True. Yeah, but maybe it, it's tougher. It's possible still, I think. So, and I think you don't have to sell like a big dream. It's just enough people are already interested in the book and would love to go through it with a small group of other people and like doing little experiments each week like you are doing and then talk about it in a small group. I think this already would be enough for most people to make it work. And of course, then it all comes down like to the price point and how serious you want to go about it. If you do, you want to make this like your main thing or just like a little side gig, a little experiment. Do you want to make any money? Because for, I think Dickie Bush is giving all the money back, mm -hmm. whereas Justin makes some money. There are many variables, but also a lot of room for experimentation. And for example, the Udemy founder Gagar also started like this new company, which is focused on cohort-based stuff, right? Uh, talking about Circle? That, what is that one? Yeah, I have to look up the name. I'm not sure. But it's all about cohorts organizing cohorts, you know, building a cohort-based cost platform. And it actually has no name or, okay, <laughs> I think at this point. <laughs> Seed round, no, it's just a Notion page at this point, I think. But they already raised like $4 million. <laughs> Crazy. Wow. Then with a little Notion page. Crazy. With the other idea I was thinking, I mean, so a lot of the ideas that I have are for people in the very, very beginning, right? So again, so I think that's like a, You know, I think anyone can do that. Like, just take a book that you have and create a curriculum of it. The other thing I've been kind of interested in for myself is um, starting a podcast. And I think I was thinking, okay, what is like the easiest way to get guests and build a, a following is I was thinking you could probably drift a, a podcast on the back of like popular Facebook groups. So there's a few groups that I'm a part of, like the, the My First Million group, Trends, Dave Gerhardt's uh, marketing group, and... Uh, Okay, dork, like Noah Kagan's one, they, they all come to mind. And I think if you created like a, a podcast or just think of some other way where you can interact with members of the community and just basically be like, hey, you know, uh, it looks like we're all in this together. We, we share a interest. So I just want to interview members of this group and then make that into a podcast. And so I think I've seen this type of model where you take existing groups. And I think this is just a, a, a general principle in general, right? Where I think Amazon grew on the back of like Google ads before they spinned off into their own thing. And so you just see people build, you build a community off of the back of something that already exists and then kind of spin it off and it can always spin off into its own thing later. But, you know, I've seen this one guy who posts the show notes to, I think, Medium or, I mean, to Notion every week. And there's one guy, Doc Williams, who he's kind of drifting off the back of this by writing a weekly stream where he talks about the tech behind each episode and uh, yeah i think there's a lot of opportunity there which podcast is it 
The, the My First Million one? Ah, it's, it's also the My First Million. Cool. Uh, I wasn't aware of that. I saw a video by this Doc William guy once. I think like a live stream. But I wasn't aware that it's a regular thing. Yeah, sorry, I think that he, he saw the success or where he went through. He did that like five-hour live stream where he worked through all the previous <laughs> products, which is just insane. The guy's a beast. And so I think based off the success of that, he's been like, oh, there's something in this community and they love it. So now he's trying to do it with every episode. That's really, really smart. And it reminds me of an idea that Brian Burris told me about because he was really thinking along similar lines and also my first million, of course. And what he was thinking is how, how can we actually connect like podcast listeners? Because the problem he was struggling with is like he listens to this podcast, he is inspired, but then he has now no people in real life or whatever he can talk about these ideas. So mm -hmm. discuss them further and find like-minded people. And I think like these podcasts, or it's also true for books, of course, like, yeah, they have a great ability to call, to gather people who think alike. So it's a great way to find friends or new, new networking opportunities, whatever you want to call it. So the idea he basically had was like a matchmaking service for listeners of a given podcast which also would be pretty cool. So like not a not additional podcast on top of it, but just a, just a matchmaking service where you get matched and then have a conversation about the latest episode. Which... Hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I think even like <laughs> if you think of it like a, I won't say Tinder, I'll say Bumble because Bumble has that whole, <laughs> they have the, I think they have like Bumble work or Bumble business and then they have yeah. Bumble friends as well. And so yeah, a, a concept like that where if you can, And people are opting in, right? Like you just say, hey, you know, we're creating this directory. So you put in as much information as you want, but then being able to kind of swipe right on each other. That sounds kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. And now that I think of it, Trends is doing it themselves. They are now organizing this mixer. Are you aware of that? This weekly mixer where, yeah, where they just mix their, the people who sign up and then they get matched in small groups, five people or whatever, and can just talk. That's it. Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, because I think I'm getting a little excited about this idea because when you think about, I think that's the, the value of trends. And I think the value of any group, like, like you said, so you have common interests, so you know, but there are some really impressive people in these groups. And I think, um, like, I don't know, if you were in the group, I'd be like, oh, man, Jacob's doing really, really cool stuff. So let me just try to see. But then, you know, you, I think one problem is that in these groups, you can literally tag anyone, you know? So I think if you go to the trends group, you can like tag like the, the VP of marketing at HubSpot, you know, and that guy probably doesn't want to, you know, he's probably very busy. So <laughs> him having the ability to also have that, yeah, you know, I want to connect with this person as well. Exactly. So yeah, I, I, I actually would love if someone starts in that direction. And when I talked to Brian, we actually figured out that it would be super easy because you can really start by making Uh, the matchmaking manually. You don't need any code, whatever. You just need a form for people to sign up and then they get matched. So, and again, like the previous idea, um, you could just do like a tiny experiment with one podcast and see what happens. And if, you, if, if no one signs up or if no one likes it, then you didn't lose anything because just setting up a landing page. Yeah, yeah I would say anyone that's interested in that idea should also check out lunchclub.ai. I don't know if you've heard of that, but I, it's like an invite-only network for now. But what they do is basically at the start of every week, you say during 
these two hour long sessions during the week, like I'm, okay, I'm open to talking to someone. And so they'll literally match you with, they have some type of algorithm that matches you with people that they think that you'd be interested in speaking with. And so I've talked to people from like, I'm, I'm based near the DC area. And so I've talked to people from California to Netherlands to, so it's all over the place, depending on the time zone, but it's just a way to, they connect you with like an hour long conversation. And it's a little hit or miss because they, sometimes they send you a platform that you can just click the link and video chat with someone, but then sometimes you had to like manually set up like a Zoom call. But I think it's it's related to this where there's already been a proven value where people just want to have like conversations with people that you'd be interested in. So I think that drifting off the back of a Facebook group is a great way to expand this idea. Yeah, absolutely. So and another website I know is Cooper, getcooper.io, right? They are also doing it one-on-one virtual coffees with top tech talent sorts from Twitter. So basically also just to get match. Ah, and just a few weeks ago, something along these lines launched on Product Hunt. Let me just pull it up. It's Founders, Founders Club. What's it called? It's also oh, like yeah. a ma- matchmaking service for yeah founders. <laughs> ah, it's now called indieworldwide.co apparently yeah it's definitely a space that's that that will grow and a lot of people are struggling with it and like the the little hack the little workaround that i use is to start a podcast right <laughs> then you can exactly. just talk to cool people yeah there you go tinder for <laughs> facebook groups or <laughs> awesome so in your email you mentioned a few other ideas if mm. i remember correctly so is there any other you are excited about yeah I had one idea where I looked it up on Product Hunt and there was someone that had done it before. I tried to reach out to him on um, LinkedIn, but he didn't get back to me on it yet. But it was basically subscription tech support for parents. So I think, so I've been at home and, you know, just dealing with my parents' questions about, you know, like everything from the printer to their smartphone. It can be like a little tedious. Um, I think I'm a little uh, impatient when it comes to that kind of stuff. And so I thought there's probably a bunch of people who, just being able to pay like a $20 a month subscription or something like that where uh, 24-7 you just are able to go on an app or a website and get access to someone to answer your questions. And so I thought the way this could work is, you know, they, either the kid or the parent pays uh, $20 a month and then you kind of just contract it out similar to how Uber works where if you have like a college student or someone that is interested in just making um, a few bucks an hour to you know, indicate when they're ready to work and then get pinged a request and then just help them do it either through video chat or, and if you think about a lot of these things are probably, you just have to sit on the phone with them, with the the company. And like, for example, the other day I had to fix our printer. And so I had no idea how to do it. I've never done that before. And so I just uh, had to sit on the line with the HP support for an hour. And I feel like even that ability to ask the right questions and do the right execution that the representative is telling you to do is like a valuable skill set. Yeah. So this is one of these ideas, I think, that that I'm personally never excited about because they sound like so much work and you still have all the risk, right? It's, but on the other hand, I think the, it's relatively safe that you can make money with it. So on the other hand, so you won't get ridiculously rich Unless, of course, you take like a, yeah, a startup approach with 
lots of external capital in order to expand like crazy, do it worldwide, whatever. But this is then, of course, a different conversation. But if you just want to like do a little bootstrap independent thing, then it's probably a lot of work for relatively little money, I think. Mm -hmm. Or what are your thoughts? No, I I agree. I think one thing with me is that I, I just, I try to look at ideas that provide you know, like the value of it. And so I don't, I don't have a good mind for like, oh man, this could become a X a million dollar opportunity or whatever. It's always the, the way I always think about it is, okay, what is like a local university or like community college? And then where can we find like the people that might be able to do this? And then, you know, can we just advertise this to the two local counties and just, you know, see if the, the whole concept of the first three paying customers or whatever. And then obviously I don't know if that's the right way to think about this idea because as you grow, there's more complexity, the economy, the numbers change, but it's a, it's a, something that I think definitely needs to be done because, you, you know, not just for people like me that are lazy to help their parents, but for people that, are, people that just don't have anyone else to help them. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's definitely a problem that needs, be to, needs to be solved, but the question is if you're the right person to do it, so founder founder market fit is what they call yeah. it. So if you're really excited about it and don't care that much about getting rich in the next whatever, then it's probably, it's probably an okay idea, I think, yeah. Right, yeah. This is, yeah, this is definitely not the like, passive income stream, right? So definitely more of a business idea. The, the other thing I've been interested in a while, and I think people in my world arrives, if, like, especially during quarantine time, but I've been really interested in physical spaces and how you bring digital or not digital experiences, but like modern experiences to them. So thought about this in a few ways where I think, so our local shopping mall has a, a movie theater in it, the gym. I think it has like a, a cooking course and it has like a, a daycare and uh, maybe like a pet salon or something like that. So when I think about, all these things that this mall already has in place. I thought, okay, well, what if you have a, a co-working space that's a part of the mall? And then as a part of joining this co-working space, you get deals to interact with all these other vendors. You know, so you come and you say, well, okay, I'm a, I want to work at this place, but I need somewhere to take my kid. And so then you literally just drop your kid off at the store right down the, the hallway. Right. And I just think there's an opportunity to be synergistic like that. And because the, a lot of these billion dollar ideas are how do you take something that's only accessible to super wealthy people and how do you bring it down? And so you think about the way that Facebook and Google and those big companies have structured their campuses where the whole premise is you just come to work, we'll take care of everything else. And so, in, you know, it's like, how do you put all this stuff in one place? Right. Um, yeah, makes a lot of sense. But again, <laughs> I think you really need to be the right kind of person to pull this off. So it right. sounds like you need a lot of capital to get started mm. just in, in one town. Absolutely. So. <laughs> well, yeah, again, these are, these are probably not like a bootstrap MBA ideas, but I just, I think this, there's a really interesting opportunity. The, the other two, quick two ones that I've thought about are adding augmented reality to like laser, what do you call it, laser tag places and stuff like that, where if you could just make that experience so much cooler where it'd be like playing like Call of Duty or Halo or something. <laughs> in real life or i thought about the same thing for uh go-kart tracks like to actually make it you could definitely make like a mario kart themed track 
that way. <laughs> I think that'd be fun. And then the last thing with the movie theaters, you know, I saw that AMC had, you could rent out like an entire theater for $99 because they're like struggling so bad just to <laughs> stream some old movie. And so I thought those spaces, uh, watching like sports matches in those rooms, you know, especially the the more modern movie theaters, they they serve drinks and food and things like that. So I think people still love that experience of, you know, being in a in a room with a bunch of other fans, but then, you know, you don't want to travel. You, maybe you can't even travel there. And so just being able to watch all these things in one place. So I think there's an opportunity to convert some of these like movie theater places. And that one, I don't even know if that one requires too much capital because it's not like you're buying out a movie theater. It's literally exactly. just you're going just... to theater. Yeah. And then being like, hey, can we rent like a theater? And then it's just uh, advertising it to the local community. The only problem I'm seeing is if movie theaters would be happy to rented to for this use case because like sports fans are not the nicest people and they get drunk and like could be a problem yeah plus the the other thing the other hurdle would be the usage rights to stream the video right yeah i don't know how that all works but again these are just ideas that go through my yeah really cool so it's great that you're thinking like in, in bigger terms because i'm always focused on yeah smaller stuff i would say so I never think about on, on these dimensions because yeah, I don't know. I don't know why, but it, it just blocks off. <laughs> it makes sense. No, it, it makes sense because I think like ideally what I would like to do is just to have like four or five projects that are like, you know, a thousand dollar a month. And then, you know, that can really float you to take these bigger risks for these kind of things. Exactly. But it, it's just fun to identify the opportunity. And then I just get excited whenever I'm just like, oh man, why is that thing not there already? Yeah. So, and do you have like also some smaller ideas because, or what I'm really interested in, because on your website, it says, let me pull it up. It says journey from entrepreneur to entrepreneur. So mm -hmm. it sounds that you, yeah, want to get serious, right? About this plan of having five projects that are making 1K and yeah. Yeah. Let me pull up my notion document where, so this year I've, focus uh, so i just turned 27 in october and so i've been trying to get serious this year where you know i have a thousand different ideas in my head like we've been talking about and so now i've been trying to focus on excuse me one idea a month so i can just shout out some of these ideas that i've been thinking about so the first one that i'm currently working on is to create a niche wedding marketplace so this is I'm a, I'm a Kerala Christian, Orthodox Christian, and the weddings that we have in our community are very, not very different, but they have different things like the choir, the, the vendor that you would have for your choir is uh, different, or your, there, there's certain, like the saris, like the, the clothing that women wear, like there are people that drape that specifically or put like the makeup on. And so, and when you think of uh, wedding venues, usually the weddings are a uh, minimum 300 people. So at that point you can, there's only so many different uh, venues that can accommodate that many people. And so I thought, okay, well, creating, let me create a marketplace. Right now I, I did a product discovery with a, a few brides and a few vendors. And it seems that the only way that people are finding people right now are through Instagram, like th searching certain hashtags. And so, you know, I think there's a huge opportunity to, bringing these people together. So the way I've gone about it is creating content that is appealing to these people, like kind of like ultimate guides, but also putting together a report about how much these weddings actually cost. So I'm trying to draw people in. 
And then from there, getting the, the vendors. So this is interesting. Just last night, I saw someone be retweeted. And it was very interesting. It was like, what is the framework for how to go about building out a business like this? And so someone said, okay, offer it to, it was retweeted by John Youngfu. Yeah, you, you follow him, I think. He's the, the banner bear guy. Yeah, yeah, sure. I know him. Yeah. So he, he had retweeted it where, let me try and find it. So he said, he retweeted something that said, for the first six months, you deliver value to a thousand people completely for free. Then month seven, you run a deal for hundreds of people to get one year free and keep delivering value. And then 12 months later, you have hundreds plus customers. And so I'm wondering if that's like the the method I want to go or if I should just validate it very early on where I ask someone to pay like $10 a month or something to be on the platform. But yeah, the, the idea is to charge vendors. But I think there's just an opportunity there. And like, you know, I know this community uh, pretty well, but I'm sure that there's a lot of other communities where there are probably vendors that are very specific to your community where a website like WeddingWire or The Knot is not going to focus on that, but you can. Yeah, interesting. So one thought is that this strategy, the framework I think he put out is, at least in my opinion, a, a mistake many people make because like, it's really hard, I think, to stay motivated if you're not making money, especially with a project like this. And it's, I mean, there is like the trough of sorrow in every project journey. It, it happens always that you will get like burned out. You don't want to continue. You're not getting enough traction, not enough attention, whatever. And it really helps if you make money. So, and at least for me, it's, I think it's the only way to get through this, <laughs> this trough of sorrow. If, yeah, if you're actually making money, then you actually continue working on it. But mm-hmm. if you're just trying for months to do great stuff and earn zero dollars, I think it becomes super frustrating and most people never make it and actually give up. And it's much smarter to start with something small where you're actually making a few dollars and then go from there. Right, right. I, I think there's probably a, like a medium where you you should chart. And so maybe you start by, I think you can always um, increase prices later. You know, I, right. I, I looked at, I remember I was, reading, I think Gumro published an email yesterday about the story of uh, Drew Riley, like the trans VC guy. And right. they were talking about when he first tried to monetize, you know, no one picked it up, but then eventually he did. And I just remember seeing his tweets early on where I think he was charging like $7 for a year or like $7 yeah. a month or something like that. And people are like, well, you need to charge way more than this. And I think he was just like, oh, you know, we'll just see. And now I think, you know, it's like $157 a year or something like that. So yeah. Even. yeah. So you can, I I think that's probably the way to go where, you know, I just need to get, I just need to get people used to the idea of paying for value out of this platform. Yeah, I think this is the way to go, like charge a little. And if you can't even earn a little money, then forget the rest. And just free is not the way to go if you're serious about entrepreneurship. Because I think there's also an important point that people take you more serious if you're charging money because mm-hmm. if you're just putting something online for free it's people don't value it right it's it just it's it, it's stupid but the human brain works like this but if you paid money for it it's it becomes more valuable in your brain it's this consistency whatever and for example yeah true true's emails for example if they were free would so many people talk about it probably not mm-hmm. right 
or what so many people care about it. But now that people are paying, I don't know how much money each month, it becomes the perception has really changed. And it's true for many, for, for many. And it, I really struggled with this before I launched my first paid product because it's just a bunch of Airtable databases. And I was really thinking, should I put this up for free? Because why not? It what makes sense, right? It's it's not that big of a thing, whatever. And it it's a cute little project. But then luckily I decided to to charge money for it. So of course, like we don't have like access to parallels, universes where we can check these hypotheses. We only have like one world. And I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't charged money for it. But I think it helps. So to be taken more serious and also people value this thing more. Yeah. I mean, do you think that, so like I'm working a full-time job and so I'm trying to launch this on the side. And so I, I would say that I'm not super pressed to make money. And then, so I, just to go on like a little tangent here, I, I think like Seth Godin always talks about, you know, just he, I think it's Lewis Grenier, like everyone hates marketers. He, he had Seth on the podcast and they started out, like, I definitely recommend listening to that, especially the first like 10 to 15 minutes. He basically just, Seth just comes on and he's just like, Hey, okay. So you can't be second and you have to make like a thousand dollars a month. Like, how do you go about doing this? And he basically just says, he basically just says what I would do. Okay. Let's say that you start with the smallest possible audience. And so he says, you, you make this ultimate guide to the best Airbnbs in France for people in like the certain area of California, because those people in California probably want like a, x climate they probably are used to certain amenities and things like that and he said you just go and you take pictures of the airbnb and you do that and then you you know he said you put the report out for free and so people he was talked about like the definition of remarkable being that someone remarks about it and so people because your uh, product is so good like people are just sharing it and then you become the person that people are like oh you know if i want to go to do an Airbnb in France, obviously I'm going to go and ask this website. So I guess my point is like, do you think there's value in doing, like it's probably a mix, right? It's, it's not either or, but a mix of doing some of this stuff for free and like creating so much value. Like, I think that's what I'm trying to do with this. How much does a wedding cost report right now where I'm just trying to provide so much value in this report. And obviously I'm capturing emails from it, but I think the monetization can come later. Yeah, no, now comes the interesting question because even if your stuff is free or if it's paid, you still have the same problem that you need to get eyeballs on your stuff, right? You, 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 you still have the problem. So if just making it free doesn't solve it. And the cool thing if you're actually charging money is that it's easier to get eyeballs on your stuff because you can afford to pay for it, right? You're not restricted to free marketing. You can actually use ads. And I think this is such a huge advantage. And also you can actually invest money into your product, which pu really puts it apart and makes it special. Whereas if you have three, it's really hard just mentally even to invest like 50 bucks because mm -hmm. you, yeah, you're, it feels like putting money into the sink. Whereas if you're charging money for it, you immediately have the mindset of oh, 50 bucks, I'll, I'll make it back. No problem. Right. It's, it's the human brain works like that. And so I'm not sure in the example with Airbnb, if, if he makes a guide that is that so great and he could charge money for it, right? So it really sounds like that. And so if he charges money for it, he 
could make a better guide. That's that's for sure because you can actually pay like a photographer, buy a better camera, whatever, and make actually better guide. And then why not charge money for it? And mm -hmm. even if it's like I don't know how much money, and you still would become the go-to guy, or you or it would be even easier to become the go-to guy because you're the guy who wrote the book on that. You're not just some random internet guy who put up a free PDF, but you actually wrote the book on the on the topic. So it's hmm. even easier to become. Of course, Seth Godin is smarter than me and <laughs> knows, knows more, but at least this is what I'm thinking. It, if, it, of course, if, if it's a labor of love, if it's just your hobby, then do it for free, do, do whatever you want. But if you want to be like an entrepreneur and be serious about it, why not charge money for it? What's, what's really the advantage? Because either it's good or it isn't good. And if it's good, people will pay money for it. So what's the point of making it free? Yeah, I think there's, it, it really depends. I, I think that I, I lean towards what you're saying because I think the, the fear of charging money is what keeps a lot of people. And I think that frustration, like, like you're saying right now, where once you make that first dollar, then it becomes kind of addicting where you're, you're like, okay, well, now I believe in this because I know, you know, there's the, example is like you making your first dollar is harder than making like your next like hundred or whatever. So I agree with that, but I do think there's like a little bit of this like slow game where you provide value up front, like even trying to come up with contracting gigs and things like that. Like I, I've done just the free work for people up front where I basically do the assignment before, you know, they ask me to do something. And I, I think that is paid. So I guess the, the point would be to, charge money to make sure that you're comfortable to make sure that you feel that you're confident in uh, your product but then also just not to make everything so transactional from there absolutely but i think the way to go is to to start with paid and do the free stuff afterwards hmm. as marketing because even in your example if you're doing freelance stuff for free then it's with a hope or because you actually have an offer right that you're hoping to sell later or use uh, free offers as testimonials, whatever, in order to sell your real thing. But it only works because you have a real thing that you can sell. And mm. it's, this, it's the same, I think, with this kind of thing that you really should start with the paid stuff. And then you can still, yeah, produce free stuff if you're motivated in order as content marketing, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I, <laughs> it's just, just my gut feeling that too many people focus on free stuff, even though they want to be entrepreneurs and earn money. Right. Well, what do you think? So you've put up like a, a few databases and projects now. And so, you know, you charge for them. And I think that there's different ways that they've gotten picked up. But I just think about like, let's say it's like Reddit or something like that, where uh, if you charge for something, you'll be like crucified. But I think if you made your, your databases free and then shared it on Reddit, like the traffic would probably increase. Like, <laughs> but you know? um, so just... One thought is I try to stay away from Reddit because it's so toxic and mm -hmm. I never post anything and I'm really glad about it. And of course, you would get more users, but it's not the right kind of users. Mm -hmm. And I think, I forgot who, I think it's the, the founder of Ghost who talks a lot about it. But if you're judging or if you have like a free tier or like this freemium model is really problematic because you get all the free users and they are the ones who make all the noise and are very demanding. And mm -hmm. the people who actually pay the money are, are nice. So 
at least um, so far, I had like zero problems and I'm super happy about it. So again, like don't have like the parallel universe where I can look how things would out pan out differently. And I, in fact, put out, I made a free experiment. I put out exactly the same thing that I did for Gumroad for AppSumo. It's called Sumo Spy. And I put it out for free. But yeah, I don't know what the learnings are. So a few people downloaded it, but <laughs> there's, there's not much uh, I can say at this point because I didn't post it to Reddit or whatever. So I didn't do a lot about it. But I think this is something to be considered that, of course, yeah, free users, whatever. But are these really the people you want to interact with? Yeah, do you want yeah. to give like support on complaints or whatever from people that are not actually, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, again, like it, it's definitely a balance and th there's so many ways about going about it. But I, the, the one point I don't want to discredit at all is the fact that like just get someone to pay for it in, in the beginning because like just to prove to yourself that you're not spending like six months working on a product that is not going to go anywhere, you know, or the people are right. like, oh, now you're going to charge again. So I definitely agree with just getting your, your first three paying people regardless. But when I created, and you know, th these were really just experiments for myself, but I posted two things. First of all, was that, that productivity Excel sheet that I uh, brought up a while ago. I, actually, no, it was the web app at that point. And I put that up. And then I also made this, what credit card should you get calculator on Excel? And I shared that. And both of those did really well and uh, you know, you know, got probably hundreds of visitors to it. And I think that if I had thought about it a little bit more strategically, what I probably would have done is it's limited up to, I mean, the free tool works, but like if you want something more, like have like an upsell on the page. So I think that's like another way you could maybe think about it where if you're intimidated by the thought of just charging or whatever, you could maybe make like, like how I think Drew has a free newsletter where it's only like half of the newsletter. Right. Yeah. So maybe upsells is like a, the medium between these two. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a route you can you can go down and I, again i've also thought about it but did no experiment so what i was thinking about is like my databases i could make some of the fields free and others like paid right it mm -hmm. would be super easy to pull this off but haven't done it so like there's only so many hours in a day and you have to prioritize and so far i just prioritize yeah the paid stuff and improving it and that's that's really it i like i have lots of ideas for free content marketing that i could do but I just don't find the time currently to actually do it. And it's working fairly well, everything. So I have no need to, to, to change things yeah. dramatically or try, try like a different strategy. But of course, there are always like many, many approaches and no one knows in advance which will work. And we all have to figure it out as we go. <laughs> but, but still, I think there are a few. Yeah. things we can we can we can take in mind and i will be looking forward to what you actually will do with your wedding thing because it sounds really unusual because i think most indie makers are successful when they build stuff for themselves because like there are these two components like the hardest part, part uh, the hardest part is consistency like you actually need to because everyone is excited at the beginning but then right so and the two things that really help is if you're charging money and also if you're doing stuff for yourself, because then, yeah, it's, it's so much easier. Right. And is the wedding thing something you actually want to use yourself or is there some personal connection or is it really just an outside observation? 
So it's a mix. So I, I've been, so I've helped coordinate some of these weddings before. And so, you know, I started by being, oh yeah, you know, I'm going to, I'll just do this as a part-time or a side hustle where I just do wedding coordinating. But then there, there were, I found out there was just so many. And for me to, I, I didn't want to compete in that arena, you know, where it's like, oh, you know, you should use me instead of this person. So I thought, well, what is like the external value? I was like, like, well, the SEO for this thing sucks. And I know that part. And I can also just, you know, build a tier on top of this whole thing. And I think that's where the opportunity came. And as far as like using the platform, I think in a few years when I get married, I would, it would be helpful to have this tool for me. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. So is this like your only egg in the basket or are you like doing lots of small bets? Well, I'm doing, I'm trying to systemize my uh, side hustles on top of my full-time job so that I actually have time to work on this, you know? So I think I'm going to focus on this solely for, or at least my time. I'm going to outsource like other parts of it. Like the, the productivity app that I said, I, I sent that out to a friend mm -hmm. and, or I might just build out the wireframes and send it over to someone on Fiverr to get that done. But as far as like what I'm actively, because this is going to require like a lot of content for, for the blog, but also I think the best way that I can grow is through Instagram. And so I thought I could do interviews with the uh, vendors to be like a in to get them on the platform. You know, I can right. write up their own profiles through interviews. So there's a lot of work there. So I think this is what I'm going to be solely focusing on. Another, I, I mentioned that I had like 12 ideas that I wanted to do. They, they mix between like different things, like a, a little book for like my church or oil candles also for my church. And then like a, a finance app based on Rumi Sethi's like principles. So, and just real quick, there's, there's a great thread by Alex Cohen on Twitter about like why you should never start a, a finance app. And I definitely recommend checking that out to anyone that's interested in this field. But I think, I think it's more from, because I've talked to, uh, that's another um, area where I've done like four or five interviews now about, you know, I made like a simple Excel framework of what I think the workflow would look like. And I walked four people through it and I was like, this, this tool just needs to exist. And so I think about it more from that way. I should probably be a little bit more like, how am I going to make money from it? But I think I'll just figure it out because <laughs> these are <laughs> things that I just need for myself. Yeah. sounds like a great place to start. So really, really cool. And what are your plans with your learning, learn then apply so because it sounds like the rest is a bit separate, like your attempts to make money are not directly related to this. Yeah. No, it's not. Website. Yeah. I mean, if you have any opinions on it, but the, the way I was thinking about structuring it was, it was going to have a resources section, a kind of guidebook section, and then a project section. So I think even in my projects, there are things that I'm going to be pulling from resources, like if I want to, I didn't get to talk about it, but there's like a, a niche website idea, which is like a prom website, because I can quickly go into that where I was just on Google Trends one day and I saw that the, the, the peaking term at that point was how to ask someone a prom. And so when I looked up that keyword, I saw that it was a bunch of, you know, teen, teen girl magazines. And I figured that the majority of people that are searching that keyword are probably guys. And so I thought, okay, how do you make the this really comprehensive post but then you know if you're if you're reaching guys during the 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 prom time they're probably interested also in buying tuxes or flowers or all these like different things that you could sell them on and so i thought you know how to, making like a niche website for that 
but that idea really came from or like the strategy on how to make like a better post came from like uh, brian dean's backlinko skyscraper technique whole thing mm. so i think there's like the for personal finance for productivity for even like marketing execution there's all these i'm i'm constantly pulling reading resources finding out how to distill that information and then apply them and so i think it it might still work that's how i'm trying to connect everything together yeah awesome so i think the the whole niche website thing is a little bit dead in my opinion so it mm -hmm. worked super well 10 years ago google changed the algorithm and now they favor like big sites and this is why you are seeing like these girl magazines at the top even though they are not particularly great and of course then the people are saying yeah you need to build an authority site but it's a super tough game i think so it's a crazy amount of work for again very little and also risky payoff because when google changes something you're immediately dead whatever so really really tough the whole and it it used to work but it, it's it, it the, the game has really changed and also you can't make that much money i think it's just realistically if you're focusing on like affiliate whatever of course if you then want to branch out to start like a shopify store really doing proper e-commerce it could work but then it becomes a different conversation altogether right so yeah but i i'm just trying to think about your about your website because i think it has so much potential it's i really love that so you're you're in some sense doing what tim ferris did at the beginning where he branded himself as human guinea pig right he's he's just trying all the crazy stuff himself and in some sense this is what you're doing right you're now reading indestructible and you're applying all the advice and sharing along the journey so this is really really cool so and there are of course lots of ways you could eventually monetize or whatever but in the beginning of course just building an audience is is already tough enough right so still yeah one model i absolutely love which is super tough to pull off is what sean is doing with well, what sean did with his all access pass right this is such a cool model and he earned so much money with it it's really crazy you you know that experiment right yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah i don't we'd be able to charge like $250 a month, but yeah, even a fraction of that, you know? Yeah, even, and I think he would, would have been much more successful and earned much more money if he charged less. So of course, it's always like a trade or whatever, but if he charged like the normal amount that people are willing to pay, like what trends is charging, whatever, like 30 bucks, then he would get a, like hundreds, if not thousands of subscribers and made so much more money, at least in my, in my opinion. But I like the really the model where you're just someone who does cool stuff and everyone gets just occasionally a peek into what you're doing but people who are willing to pay get the insider look right you share every day with them what you are actually doing so maybe not now but maybe in the future this could be something that 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 could work for you would be super interesting at least I think I think that was the thing though is he probably didn't want well first of all I think he made like two hundred thousand dollars or like five hundred thousand dollars off of it so I think he did fine but you know he always says on the podcast he brings up whatever ideas but then once he gets excited about something or he starts executing on something he goes kind of hush because he doesn't want like other people to you know kind of drift off of it so I think there's that fear about doing something like that where if you 
I do want to talk about execution. Like one thing that there's this guy, Max Miro. Have you heard of him? He he's on he runs Entrepreneur. Ah, yes, yes. I'm aware of that. Okay. Yeah. So for anyone that doesn't know, he Max just goes live on uh, Twitch and LinkedIn Live. I think it's like every Wednesday at a certain time and he'll say, Okay, today we're gonna build a integration between a t-shirt website and card and he'll just whip up like a landing page in two hours or something and so it's kind of similar to uh what doc williams is doing but i just thought i I love that idea i kind of wanted to just do live updates every week maybe even for just for half an hour it's like hey okay um i'm gonna be today i'm gonna be working on like the website and then at the very least like if you just throw up like obs studio and record your screen then you have content that you can maybe clip later for like a youtube video or something like that right and so i just want to record myself working on this project but yeah that's it's fun yeah and i think then we can come full circle and get back to the discussion we had previously with uh, paid versus free because again like there are people who are doing this but if you're ch- starting to charge money i think it's actually easier to get attention because people get yeah, get curious what's going on. At least, like, again, my gut feeling. If you're positioning yourself like this is kind of premium behind-the-scenes look, whereas you're just some guy putting out what he's doing on Twitch, yeah, it's just a different perception. And it really could help to make it a little bit paid, at least. So, <laughs> And not like the donation model, but actually a payward model. But interesting, I have to check out um, what he's doing. So I just stumbled across this guy because he replied to a tweet by Ben Tossel where he commented on the on the stack, right? Card, Gumroad, and Airtable, right? And this is where I saw his name, yeah. Yeah, no, he, he's doing very cool things. And it's just like a nice little community. I think right now he, uh, I don't know how many viewers he gets. I doubt it's more than 100, if that. But he already has like sponsorships with Restream, and like some other things. So I think he's making a little bit of money off of it, but you're right that where I think there's a couple of things with what Sean is doing where, you know, he's obviously like this proven executor, but he, he also executor, I should say, sir. But he also, I think was in fields where he hadn't played before, but I think people are just like, you know, this guy is going to get it done. And so it is kind of interesting to see if like, you know, if you're like a indie maker or like a, if you don't have any proven things behind you, but you know, it might be worth experimenting for you. I think since you've already had like a few successes, like, you know, to just be, well, I'm going to live document what I'm doing. And I think that's, I haven't, I haven't seen Jack Butcher from Visualized Value, like actually say it, but I think that he has something called like a sell the sawdust. And so as you make your next product, you sell the product, but then you also sell how I made this product. Right. Yeah. Really cool. So I have to run. Mm-hmm. now but this was really amazing and maybe you can do it again in the future if you're interested and once yeah, you have I'm... a few other ideas and maybe some updates on your wedding site and so on yeah I'm just happy to chat is this i love uh, i get a lot of energy from conversations like this but yeah, if too. you if you i'm actually working on a, a podcast idea for it's called unqualified where i talk to people who are like in the weeds of doing things you know they haven't necessarily made it yet and basically just questions about, you know, wh- where you want to get started. And I- I'll send you the question list, but I would love to maybe just record a conversation the other way as well. Yeah. Sounds okay. great. Great. All right. Take care. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye.